Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a guy on today. He actually may set himself on fire just to be memorable. I'm kidding. His name is Mike Goldman. He's going to be with us here in just a minute. So see you in a second. Okay, so let's bring Mr. Mike Goldman on. Mike, how you doing? Good. I'm pumped up just from watching that video. I'm ready to go, and I've got the matches right here to set myself on fire, so let's do it. <laughs> I love it, man. I forgot to tell you, there's going to be times when I put the screen just on you. I'm still here, so don't... Uh, okay. so, so we've got some amazing people already joining us, and if I know... I, if I know these guys, they probably already shared this out. So thank you for sharing it out in advance. And replay viewers, make sure you do not forget to hit that share button. We love to be shared. So Mike, I started this show about two and a half years ago. And it was literally to help people have a breakthrough in, in life. Um, of which I hear you know nothing about. Never heard of it. How do you spell that? B what? <laughs> yeah. B R A K E. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got it. So, so, you know, um, I, I think that at the time I was stuck in in this particular situation. And um and I, I, I truly believe I started this for selfish motives, selfish reasons, <laughs> and, and it's paid off, man. So so let's start with telling everybody where you were born and raised. Start there. Yeah, I was born in, uh, in the Bronx, New York. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you think of the Bronx, you get a certain picture in your head. I was actually born in a town called Riverdale in the Bronx, which is actually pretty nice. So Growing up, if, if I was hanging out with a bunch of guys and they'd say, where are you from? I'd say the Bronx because it made me sound tough. And I'm about five foot four. So sounding tough was pretty important. Uh, yeah. if I was trying to pick up a girl and she'd say, where are you from? I'd say Riverdale. Because if I said the Bronx, it may scare her away. Right, right. So what, you're not, are you really five foot four? Yeah, does that, that you look shocked by it. I look a lot taller on the, you look, you see the you camera. Look the that's too. I thought you were like six two, man. So, <laughs> so, my personality. <laughs> I love it. So, so what was it like growing up in the Bronx? I, I'm I've been in New York one time in my life, and it was I went through hell. I, I guess it's also called a tunnel. Um, driving over there, and and like uh, the traffic is all I remember. And I came out into Manhattan. My meeting was in Manhattan and I left Manhattan and I, I don't know. It was, it was crazy. I left New York at about five 30 in the evening. That is a really good time. To be, great time. 
Yeah, it's. I found out that's the best time to be on the roads driving a car in New York City. So. You, you get to. It's great because you get to study each block of the city for about a half an hour. So it's all right. I was like, oh my god, I think I got out of the city by like midnight or something. But anyway, so um, what was it like growing up in the Bronx? What I, I don't, I, I don't think I, I, well, I know I've never been to the Bronx. What's it like? Yeah, it was great. And again, when when people think of the Bronx, they they think of burnt out buildings and, and all this stuff. And I actually yeah. grew up in a in a pretty nice area, so it was actually great. Every once in a while, I'll go back there. I, I only live about. 40 minutes from there now. So every once in a while, I'll go back there. And when my kids were younger, I took them back there just to walk around the neighborhood. And man, you know, it was great. We played stickball, you know, we spray painted a strike zone on the wall and played stickball during the day and played a great game called Ring Alivio at night, which was basically like tackle, hide and go seek. So you were, somebody was typically bloody, uh, usually me before the end of that game. But you know, it was honestly, it was a great place to grow up, um, and uh, you know, lo- love going back there and, and just remembering all, all those crazy times. So you went. So that's where you went to school, high school, all that, right? Did you end up? Yeah, I went. Yeah, I, I went to. Uh, you know, obviously, my look. You know, no private school. We, you know, Riverdale's kind of a nice area, but we had zero money. Uh, times were, were really tough. And it's a little tougher when you're around people that do have money when you have zero. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so public schools and that was fine. And then, you know, when I was in what, which at the time was called junior high school, they now I guess call it middle school, but it was junior yeah. high back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had a choice of going to the local high school, which was like this eight story big factory uh, of kids. Or there was a school called Bronx Science, which is pretty nationally known. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a public school, but you had to take a test to get in. And kids from all five boroughs of New York went there. And I said, man, I don't want to go there with all those geeks and smart kids, but let me take the test just to see if I can get in. Uh, And I took the test and I got in and I went there. And that was probably the first time. Uh, I was really challenged with people around me. And I said, oh, my God, could could I really be as smart as these people? Uh, and it challenged me to kind of get my game on. And it, it, it as I think of it, I never thought about it this way. It kind of set the stage for me the rest of my life where I'm always kind of figuring out how do I upgrade my neighborhood and hurt my ego a little bit and challenge myself with people who have done more and know more than I do. Uh, yeah. And I guess that all started around high school. So did you, did you end up going to college? Yeah. Yeah. Went to uh, a local uh, state university of New York institution in uh, Albany, New okay. York, the capital of, of uh, you know, of New York. Uh, so went there. That's where I met my wife. That's where I majored in uh, business and became part of a business fraternity and got all, you know, when I went there, I was going to be either a writer or a lawyer. Uh, and when I came out, I was uh, more more business focused. So yeah. So you you came out and what opened a business or went to work? No, that that would have been a disaster. I knew nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I have definitely failed in my life, but I would have failed a lot quicker. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You no, know, I went. You know, back then I graduated in, in 1987. So uh, I'm an, I remember I used to think 50, 55 was really old and. 
Now yeah. that I'm 55, I'm like, you know, 70s old, but 55 is fine. So right. I graduated in, in 87 um, and uh, didn't get my master's, never got my master's. I'm one of the few people around the people I kind of hang out with now that, that didn't do that. But yeah. back then in 87, right out of undergrad, uh, I went to work for what's now called Accenture, which I believe they're still the biggest or close to the biggest management consulting firm out there. In 87, they were part of a company called Arthur Anderson, and they were just the consulting group within Arthur Anderson. So uh, went to work for them, and basically they, uh, they, they train the heck out of you. You get these little books called, they called them green books because they were green, and uh -huh. the internet wasn't a thing. Um, and laptops weren't really a thing back then. So you literally had this green book and it basically told you the 1250 steps to do anything. So wow. right out of college, you were actually able to go out there on a client and be really productive and actually have people way older than I was that were reporting to me. Uh, so I was kind of running projects and doing these great things. And I was there seven years. And what happened the last few years is you actually go from being this know-nothing kid right out of undergrad. Uh, I actually started to build some expertise. I started to know something, but man, you still have to follow the green book. And I, I know I'm helping a company doing a software selection and I know the software, I can get them through it in a month and a half, we'll get it done. No, 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 you've got to follow the 1147 steps and that's going to take four and a half months this is what you've got to do. And that's where at that company I started knowing my, my days were numbered because what was really helpful right out of college became kind of smothering. Yeah. So, so, and you said you had a bunch of older dudes working for you. Like they, I'll bet they loved that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they, they love the, the little, you know, 23 year old that was, was telling them what to do. Um, you know, it was, it was crazy times. I mean, I look back and it was such an incredible learning. And I remember I was we, for, for our retailer, uh, we were doing a, uh, testing a, a new replenishment, this automatic, this system that automatically replenished their inventory. And I headed up the testing team and, you know, there were all these programmers and testers that were in their thirties and forties. And here I was probably, 23 years old running the team and and the craziest day I remember you know this is back before family you know no kids so yeah. it's about work and I started work at seven in the morning we worked around the clock until two o'clock in the afternoon the next day mm. it was the last day to get the system tested before it went live and it's amazing when you work hours like that. And that, I didn't work that way every day. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here anymore. Yeah. But more crazy hours like we did. All of a sudden, you you go through a phase where you were getting home at about seven o'clock at night from the work you did, and you thought, "My God, what am I going to do the rest of the night? I've got I've got all this free time. It's crazy." So that was fine when I was twenty three. Now that I'm now that I'm fifty five, I, I don't think that's uh, that's a life I'd want to live anymore. Yeah, that's I, I I've I can't. Um... I used to do that, and I—that's just not in my makeup anymore. <laughs> you know, people are different now. It's funny now. You know, I've got kids, twenty-six yeah. and twenty-three, and, and my daughter's twenty-three, and she's actually working for a, you know, a small consulting firm down in in Maryland. And 
the the goals are very different. I mean, I don't mind saying I'm actually a little, a little embarrassed of it now because I think it's crazy. But when I graduated college, when I started working for what's now Accenture, my goal was you could beat me, whip me, kick me, work me 24 hours a day. I'm making partner. I'm making partner. I'm buying the big house. I'm buying my BMW. It really was all about money and status. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously it's very different for me today. You know, it's easy to say once you've done something with your life, oh, the money's not important. But yeah. I look at my daughter, you know, uh, who, uh, you know, and actually she just turned 24. She'll kill me if she watches this. And I said 23. <laughs> um, but but my daughter and, and the people, you know, even into their 30s, their lives, I think, are much more purposeful and holistic. They actually, they actually give a rip about society. Yeah, and I do now too. But back then, I'd be lying if I said I cared about, you know, if global warming was a thing back then that we cared about. Uh, I don't care. I'm making partner. I don't care. I'm buying my BMW. Right. So it's crazy. As, as you toss, toss a, What's that? You, as you toss a Pepsi can out the window of your car. Yeah. Well, I'm going to see an Indian crying on the side of the road like that. Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I look back on those days and I cringe a little bit, but I'm honest, that's the way I felt. And, and I know people today are very different. I, people would not, most people would not put in those days, put in those kinds of hours just for a job. They would yeah. do it for a cause. Yeah. You know, and I work with my clients to help them figure out what that cause is because they'll do it for a cause, but they're not going to do it just for a job to make money. No. Well, yeah, things are definitely different. You know, when I say, every time I say that, like times are different, the kids today don't understand. <laughs> I, I think it, that's a generational thing, man. My grandfather used to say the same thing, you know, um, but it is significantly different today for yeah, sure. I think it depends how you say it. When I hear people, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded and, and, yeah. and, when I hear people say, you know, these kids, this generation, they don't work as hard. They want to, you know, they get a trophy even if they come in last place. I call BS on that stuff. You know, I am not the 55-year-old, these kids today. I think they're different. I actually think they're different in a great way. Yes. And I think when when CEOs, you know, I work with CEOs and leadership teams, and, and when they start complaining about the millennials or complaining about uh, – uh, Gen Z or whatever, you know, when, yeah. when they're talking about the 20s and 30-somethings in a negative way, uh, I push back. And it's like, look, the, you, you, you've got to give them something to fight for. Yep. Give them something they care about. Give them purpose. It's easy to say, in my day, we would work hard because we're getting a paycheck. These are not your days anymore. And those weren't any better than they are today. They're different. Right. Make them work. Yes, I agree. I do not believe in in uh, in everybody getting a trophy, however. But I, I do I do agree with you. I think that that you know, and and yes, it's it is different. It's different today, but you've got to recognize the differences and and build on those, right? Or or stick your head in the sand and, and or, uh, or or just or just be a crotchety old bastard complaining about everything, and that that's not a fun life for anybody. It's not, and it's not a great way to live. So, or build a business for that matter. Nope. So, so <clears throat> how long did you work? And that was Accenture. How long did you work there? 
Yeah, I was there seven years, and okay. then, uh, you know, family on the way, had my, my first child, my son, and and I said, you know what, this consulting life uh, of travel all the time, and right after, I, right after I was married, I was in Fairfield, Ohio for about a year coming home on the weekends. Uh, that's oh, wow. the life. So I said, hey, I got kids on the way. Uh, I had a nice job offer from a company that was local. I said, I, I think I've had enough of the consulting life. And I went to work for a, at the time, what I thought was a really small company. It was about a $150 million women's footwear and accessory company named Etienne Agnye. Now, these days, I don't think of that as a small company. But right. at Accenture, if you earn $5 billion, we didn't look at it. I mean, wow. all Fortune 500 companies. So this was me going to a small company. And I was there three years, and, and I learned a couple of things. You know, one... I learned I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. I went there thinking, I'm a consultant, man. I know my stuff. Right. Y'all need to get out of the way. I'm going to go to this little $150 million company. I'm going to, they're going to want to make me president and CEO tomorrow. (laughs) These guys know. They're not Accenture consultants. I went there and I said, oh my God, I'm not nearly as smart as I thought I was. There were some super quality people there. So it put me in my place a little bit, but I loved it. I built this brand new department. That's why they hired me in. And as I was building it. This was around 30 years old-ish? This was, uh, yeah, right around 30. Okay. Right around 30. And and I built this brand new department, this new line of business for them. And it was great. For the first year and a half as I was building it, Great time, very successful, learned a lot. And then I had to manage that new business. And that was my, so my first learning was I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. My second learning when I built the business and now I had to manage it is I don't love just managing a business. I'm more of a project guy. I like something new all the time. And I wound up hiring my replacement and then, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal every morning. I got to find something that's more exciting. And I ended up getting back into consulting, working for a company called Deloitte Consulting, getting back into consulting for another seven years. Wow. Until I got to the point that I said, you know what, this is, you know, I used to look at the, you know, my next step was partner. I was a senior manager and I looked at the life of the partner, which I always glorified. And as I got real close to it, I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's who I want to be. And by the way, they're not making as much money as I thought they were making. They're not in control of their life. Once you make partner, there's a whole other hierarchy. You now become a peon junior partner. Yeah. And, that was a whole, and I said, man, so, so I started looking for something else. It was probably maybe the most depressing time of my life because I started looking for what else was out there. And, and, and my, and my whole career was, you know, like a roller coaster ride on the way up for many years, the young guy learning more, getting raises, getting promotion. And I got to a point where I felt like I hit a brick wall and I said, I don't know what's next. And that was when uh, my wife and I had actually saved up a whole bunch of money and refinanced the house because we got a lower interest rate and took some money out and put it away. And we were going to redo our kitchen and spend about 120 grand just redoing this whole floor of a house. And I said, stop. This new kitchen is going to make us really happy until the first time we got it, we've got to clean it 
And then it's just going to be the same old life where you're in a job you don't love. I'm in a job I don't love. Let's keep that money in the bank. Yeah. Let's take a shot. I was pushing 40. And I said, let's take a shot because it's only going to get harder from here. When our kids get to college age, that's not going to be the time to take a shot. So I said, I'm going to start my own business. And I started my first business, which was a, uh, I bought an office of a franchise, a staffing and recruiting firm. Um, that was my, I, I said, I never got my MBA, right? Right out of undergrad. I wow. lied because that was my MBA. Yeah. I will tell you that was a three-year $300,000 out the window MBA. That was not the business for me. Yeah. Um, I call it a failure and this is kind of cliche at this point, but I wouldn't give up that time for all the world. It was not the right business for me. I lost a lot of money, but that learning for me was irreplaceable. Just learning how to, you know, I, here I was a consultant working with CFOs and CIOs and sometimes yeah. CEOs, that's very different than running your own business. That is, a, that's a whole different, well, there's, that tells you almost nothing and yeah. how to run your own business. For example, when I started that business, you know, it was like, hey, well, who do I sell to? Well, start with your network. Excuse me, I, I don't have a network. You know, I spent the last three years in LA working with Disney and in San Francisco working with, Levi Strauss, here I am in northern New Jersey. I've got no network. What do I do? So, man, it wasn't the right business for me, but I wouldn't give it up for the world. So go back to the, you know, you're, you're back into consulting at, at Deloitte, you said, Deloitte Consulting. Yeah. Is, is that the same Deloitte that everybody's heard of? Yeah. Yeah, they're okay. now just called Deloitte, Deloitte period with a little green period. Yeah, yeah. When I was there, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, it was initially Deloitte and Touche was the name yeah, of the firm. Yeah, yeah. Then they were just Deloitte, and we were called Deloitte Consulting. So, so I didn't even work for big accounting firms that had consulting arms. Right. I was in Deloitte Consulting. So what was your – okay, so you, you, you'd get up at – whatever time in the morning, I assume early, if you had to be at work by probably eight or whatever. Um, and what was it like? Like, what is that like? I, I don't, I've never, I've always owned my own business for the most part. So I don't know what it's like to, what'd you do? Um, take the train. <laughs> the huh? I spent, I spent three and a half years living in New Jersey with clients in California. So here's what it was like. So you flew a lot. So a lot, a lot. So much <laughs> <laughs> bigger than a lot. <laughs> so, so here was my life Sunday night packing, oh. being kind of depressed, knowing I had to leave again Monday morning. Typically, and I only realized this after I was done with this, my wife and I would typically have a fight over something stupid. And I have a great marriage. I've been married 30 years. We would fight over something stupid every Sunday night. Oh, my God. Only hindsight led me to realize it was because we were depressed that I was about, you know, we were on uh, stressed out that I was about to leave again. So Sunday night, I would pack, uh, fight with the wife. Monday morning, crazy early, I would take a flight to California. Jeez. 
get there, do a little work, have some dinner, work in California, either at Disney in Glendale, California, or, or Levi Strauss in, in San Francisco, work Monday through typically Thursday, sometimes Friday. On good weeks, I would go back home Thursday night, wow. work from home on Friday, then have a good day Saturday, and then say, crap, I've got to fly out again. Three and a half years. Oh, my. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was in Ohio for a little bit. So it was crazy travel. Great. Joe, and my, the work wasn't bad. My buddy Joe lives in California. He said, and the California clients were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I thought my clients were okay. The interesting thing, and, and be, we, this may take us off on a, on a whole tangent, but if it's interesting, uh, you know, I, I, I'll leave it up to you if we go with it. But when 9-11 happened, I was working with Levi's in San Francisco. Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania, if you remember. I do. Flight 93, that was the flight I took every Monday morning to go to San Francisco to work with Levi's. Every Monday morning for about a year, Flight 93, 9-11 was on a Tuesday. Oh my God. Now to be to now that week I had an early morning meeting on Monday. So actually that week I actually flew out Sunday night, but I was in San Francisco when that happened six in the morning from my hotel room, watching that on TV as I was getting ready. And that Thursday, me and two of my colleagues who lived in New York and where I live in New Jersey, it's 20 minutes from New York. We rented a Ford Taurus and drove from San Francisco, went over the Bay Bridge, got on Route 80, drove cross country, left Thursday. I got back to my house in New Jersey, 7 p.m. Sunday night. So drove from San Francisco to New Jersey after 9-11. Yeah, because there, like, it, the, it was it was eerily silent in the oh, sky. Yeah. And, then, and then three weeks later, I was on the plane almost by myself, getting upgraded to first class every week because who was flying? But three, I think it was three weeks later, on that plane, back out to San Francisco every week with the client. Good God, man. So you, wow. so you didn't realize how big a question you were really asking when you said, what, what was it like to be a consultant back then? Ron Goodwin says, referring to the wife thing, better to fight over stupid stuff than fight over real oh, stuff. Ron, I like that. Amen. Like Amen. That. Joe says it's the cannonball <laughs> run. <laughs> You know, I, let's go back to that because, like, here you are, a consultant with Deloitte. I mean, dude, you had to have known people in those towers. I did. I did. Um, I, I, I had some good friends in those towers. Really, no no clients know when I work with. It's interesting because there, there was a Deloitte office not too far from there. Um, not in the, the tower. tower. Right near it. Oh, um, wow. But, but yeah, uh, you know, each of us knew folks. I knew a number of people. One woman I know very well who, uh, interestingly enough, we met when my wife and I were on our honeymoon uh, back in 1990 in Hawaii. It turned out they lived about five minutes from us in Brooklyn at the time, which is wow. where I lived after I was married. So we became great friends with them. And actually just a bunch of years ago, went, went on our 25th wedding anniversary together. Wow. But anyway, I met them on our honeymoon. She was working in the towers. Um, almost everybody else she worked with passed. She made it through many surgeries later. And oh, my 
that later. Uh, but but uh, the stories are are obviously yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So so and I can't even imagine what it was like to get on an airplane three weeks because I I I'm. I don't think I got on an airplane for a few years. <laughs> I was, you know, I was good with it I, for whatever reason. Maybe just because I've been flying so much, um, and I'm not someone that takes one incident and says, "Oh, now it's going to happen again." Yeah. So I was good with it. The the interesting part of it was I had, you know, just about everybody on my team at the time who weren't weren't Levi's employees. Yeah. Uh, we flew there from New York or New Jersey or, or, or somewhere else in, in the country. And the interesting thing for me is I had to, I had to be really careful because I didn't want to put pressure on my team members just because I was comfortable flying back. Doesn't mean they had to be right. So remember the first week, I think it was just me and one other team member flying back. And I was very careful to say, look, I'm flying back. You don't have to. And remember those were the days this was, you know, back in 2001, it wasn't so easy to do this. We didn't no, have no, it wasn't. and all this stuff. No. So if you weren't there at the client, it was harder to be productive. But yeah. there were some who, you know, it was another month before they felt comfortable flying. And probably still didn't <laughs> in yeah, reality. Probably, you know, white knuckled, yeah. you know, uh, uh, yeah. fingers on, on the seat, you know, during yeah. the flight. But it was, I, I remember the first time I, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, so here, so you decide after 14, 15 years, 16 years, maybe of working with these other companies um, combined, you, you decide that you're going to start your own business um, in the, and what did you say? It was in the temporary. It was staffing, it was staffing and recruiting. Staff Staffing. So, so here okay. I was, I went, this is interesting, Ken. I went from, now it was a franchise because even though I've been a consultant and you think, oh, this guy knows business again, for working with, for a fortune 500 and starting your own small business, it's like the difference between being a, you know, a fireman and a, and a dog walker. Like it, it's just different worlds. Yeah. So, so I actually uh, bought an, uh, 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 bought a, a part of a franchise, you know, became a franchisee because they're going to teach me how to do it. And I quickly went from coaching or I'd say consulting and advising CFOs and CIOs and CEOs yeah. to getting yelled at by an HR rep one year out of school because our, uh, you know, our, our receptionist didn't show up on time because we were dealing with like junior level temps and customer yeah. service reps. So it was kind of an ego whack on the head. And like I said, it was three tough years, a lot of money out the window, but learned how to sell, learned how to give the right service, uh, learned the in, ins and outs of running a business. And, and you know, it's interesting. I started in that business. I said, it's, it's such a staffing and recruiting is such a commodity business. And, I said, well, I'm much smarter than that. I'm, I've been a consultant for all these years, 15 <laughs> years consulting. I'm going to blow these folks away that, you know, how do they sell? They're like bringing plants to prospects with a note that says, we can help your business grow. I'm like, give me a break. I'm more strategic than that. Meanwhile, the, you know, the 25 year old woman bringing that plant with the cutesy card was outselling me. You're right. I'm going to be more strategic. So I started doing these workshops focused on how to 
get greater engagement, greater productivity, yeah. uh, uh, you know, greater retention from your employees. And the workshops were great. And I wound up taking the workshops, writing my first book from, from the workshops. The workshops were great. I have a line of people waiting to talk to me after the workshops, some of them free, very few of them paid. Um, but it did nothing to build my staffing and recruiting business. So I finally decided one day I was reading there. There's a great book by Seth Godin. Most of his books are marketing books. You've probably seen them or read them, but he wrote this great little book called the dip, the dip, the dip, D I P. Uh And in the dip, he talks about the whole idea of the dip is that most people start a business and they're flying high and then real life, kicks in and you start doing this and you're running out of money and you're starting to get discouraged. And right about here, you run out of money and patience and you quit right before this was about to happen. Yep. Now his point, he has one whole chapter that, and I may not get this totally right, but it was something like, how do you know whether you're in the dip or you're in death Valley? Like Mm. his, his idea was not never quit. His idea was, Sometimes you quit too soon. So in this chapter about how do you know whether you're really uh, in the dip or in Death Valley, he had, I think it was about 10 10 ways you know you're really in Death Valley. And I think I hit nine out of 10. Oh, wow. And and I remember I was at my town pool with my wife reading that book. And I read about a book a week, so I'm a crazy reader. I'm reading at the pool. And I looked at my wife and I said, I've got to close the business. You know, I was reading that book because it was going to help me to fix the business. And I read the book and I said, I've got to close the business. And what I did is I shifted and it wasn't even anything to sell. It's not like I can sell it for a lot of money. We, we were losing money. So I basically closed the business and I said, I'm just going to keep doing these workshops because I love it and I'm really good at it and people are getting value from it. I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'm a coach. I don't know if I'm a consultant. I don't know if I'm a facilitator. I don't care what I am. This is what I'm going to do. Right. And uh, the name of my my workshop was called Performance Breakthrough Workshops. You like that word breakthrough? I know. I, I, I do. Performance Breakthrough Workshops. Um, started writing, you know, wrote the book. My first book was called Performance Breakthrough. Started doing more of those workshops. And, and that's where my business started evolving into coaching and eventually solely working with leadership teams and CEOs and, and doing what I do now. Wow. So, so, and you were, th- you said a, you lost about 300,000 on that, that business. Yeah. Keep saying that. Say that again. Dude, 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 <laughs> but dude, you had to have had some fax machines you could sell and. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You're right. So it was, I think it was 299,900. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we got $10 out of the fast. You know, what, what is a Harvard MBA cost? With <laughs> Probably less than that. <laughs> Probably less than 300 grand. <laughs> but, but so, so I, I and I, I laugh, but I've been, I've been there, you know, I mean, I, I think anybody that's an entrepreneur, if you're honest, you, you can't, you can't say you haven't lost your. Yeah. And, and by own. the way, this is, I want to, I want I'm going to interrupt you and say this because it's so important. There's a whole lot that got me through all that, right? Because sure. I could have just gone back to get a job. I could have quit. You know, my, by the way, I should have closed that business a year in. Yeah. It took me three years to say this isn't working. But but 
I learned a lot. I read a lot. I had coaches. I went to training. I did, you know, I listened to Tony Robbins. I walked on coals. I did all this stuff that got me through it. But I will tell you, and it's not because she's standing behind me somewhere and you don't see her. My wife, Angela, yeah, me through this because I, I am definitely more the entrepreneur. Yeah. I can take not getting a paycheck every week. I can take making the investments. I can take that fear. She is much more about the paycheck every week. Yeah. And scared to death when I told her I was quitting the consulting thing and starting this business. She could have very easily whacked me in the head and said, all right, schmuck, enough. Go get a job. Right. And I was at the point literally in tears saying, I'm not sure how we're going to pay the mortgage. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Uh, when, when I closed the, the staffing business and even the first year or two in the coaching business, and I knew she was going to, I just knew she was going to say to me, get your resume ready and get a job. And she said to me, you're doing everything right. You're a smart guy. We're going to do this. We're going to fire the landscaper and get our son to start mowing the lawn we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to save money here. We're going to save money here. You can do this. You're going to make it. And I feel like I'm getting emotional as I say it because there were, I would say three times over my now, how many years has it been? About 16 years in my own business. There were probably three times when I was ready to quit. And if I didn't have that, Yes, I had a support system, coaches, yeah. and mind groups. But if I didn't have that supporting wife next to me, we wouldn't be talking. And I'd have a job I hate waiting for retirement right now. So, man, you need that support. Ray Campbell says, okay, not fair, Ken. I'm living Mike's story right now. Wow, this is truly impactful. So, Ray, I don't want to tell you the rest. I don't want to ruin how the rest of your life is going to come out. I should... I should just talking now. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being on, Mike. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to ruin Ray's life. Um, Ray, shut us off, Ray. So, you know, I mean, that's that's life, man. I mean, people, I, I think, you know, one of the, the best books I ever read was a, a, a book called The Road Less Traveled. Um, by M. Scott Peck. And, and the first three words of that book are life is difficult. And, 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 and he's not saying it from a whiny standpoint. He's saying, look, if you can just accept that life is going to be difficult. And if you own a business, just multiply that times 20. And, 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 you know, once you accept it though, it becomes easier to transcend the difficulties in life. You gotta, you gotta love the roller coaster ride. You, you gotta, you got you do. You're right, man. You're right. So, so you, um, you left the, um, the staffing firm, the staffing, and and you went into. What, what? I, I didn't know what to call it when I did it, but it was coaching. Okay. Um, and I started doing workshops, and then I started getting some training, and I joined a coaching organization. Uh, to kind of fill in some of what I was missing around what it takes to really do leadership development with people. So, so I did for, for a number of years, I did a lot of group coaching and one-on-one -on -one coaching focused on leadership development. And yeah. that went okay. You know, it, it, it was good. I had a lot of value. 
Um, and, uh, you know, when I was paying the bills and, and starting to pay back some of the loans and the hole I dug myself. And then um, I had this great opportunity where, you know, it's amazing when you take action. Sometimes you get results, but it's not where you think. I said, I said, you know, I'm going to start focusing my target market on professional services firms because that's what I spent my life doing. And one of the first people I called was a partner that I worked for in in my uh, history at Deloitte, the partner I worked for when I was doing work in Disney in Glendale, California, um, called him and he said, hey, I'm now president of a new division of Verizon. I could use your help. So I went and started consulting there. And it wasn't coaching. It was kind of a deal with the devil because it wasn't what I loved to do. It was kind of back to my management consulting days. Yeah. But man, it was more money than I had seen in a while. And what it allowed me to do is really start to build up, uh, you know, my, my nest egg again and pay back the loans and redo that kitchen that we were supposed to do many years before. <laughs> um, like, can we keep it at 50 grand though? <laughs> What's that? You were like, can we keep it at 50 grand instead? Yeah, I wish. I yeah. wish. That's not what happened. But, but, but what happened is I did that, and, and about 85% of my business was doing this work at Verizon. And frankly, I didn't love the work, but it was a way to start building up the cash flow again, still in yeah. my own business. Um, and when that started to end, I said, you know, I don't want to just go back to my coaching and do this leadership development work. The whole, I felt like I was more than that and I can do more than that. Nothing against anybody listening who does leadership development work. That's phenomenal. Yeah. But for me, I looked at it and said, you know, my life has been about, in coaching, my life is about, I'm going to help you become a, a better leader so you can go grow your company. Right. And I said, right. no, no, I have more than that. I want to literally help people grow their company. I want to be a senior coach that feels like a part-time member of the leadership team sitting at the right hand of the CEO, you know, just helping them execute with discipline, helping them figure out what the right strategy is, helping them surround themselves with the right people. And that's what I did. And I joined a different coaching organization and I read a ton of books and I started learning. And, and frankly, it was another two years of getting my feet under me again with a new focus for my business. And I find for me every five years or so, I need that next dragon to slay. Yeah. And I'm going through that right now uh, with, with, with something else that I'm sure we'll get back to, but it took me two years again, two years of struggle, you yeah. know, because I went from charging this much yeah. and selling to the head of HR to do a leadership development program to now charging this much. And yeah. the CEO is my target. Right. And at first, I wasn't sure. You know, I talked a good game, but yeah. I didn't really have the confidence to know I was good enough to charge that kind of money and do that. And it was only after getting my feet under me and, and getting a few clients under my belt that had amazing success. I said, you know what? I'm pretty good. <laughs> you know, I can do wow. that. Enough. And slowly started building that business and got to the point a couple of years ago where I knew exactly how to, to keep going and, and, and double. My, I had doubled my business from where I was. Wow. And I knew exactly how I was going to double it again. Well, I told my wife about what my plan was. And I told my wife what my three-year goal was in terms of a dollar amount. And it was more money than we could ever imagine either of us would be making. 
and she was excited about it and I wasn't. And it was the same thing because I said, Wow. And I know exactly how to do this. I can keep doing what I'm doing, but do it better, charge more, work with some better clients, and I can get this done. And most people would be excited about that. But I said, I need something that scares me. I always need something that scares me. Back when I turned 50, I read something that said, uh, you've, you know, every once in a while, you've got to do something that terrifies you. So when I was 50, I took a stand-up comedy course and did 10 minutes on stage in front of an audience at a place called the Comedy Cellar in the Village in Manhattan, which is a pretty famous comedy club. Yeah. Um, it's just to do it. So my latest thing, and if, and, and if I'm moving past, you know, too fast, Ken, you'll pull me back. No, go. Yeah. My latest thing is about two years ago, you know, I said – that next big dragon to slay is I had always, I had always done public speaking. I mean, you could tell I'm very passionate about what I do and that comes across when I speak publicly. Publicly, one of the things I was always very good at, but public speaking was always a means to an end to get coaching clients. And I said, wait a minute, my next dragon to slay is I'm still gonna coach, but public speaking needs to be a consistent, a significant revenue stream for me. I need to diversify my business and do more speaking. And then once I said that, made that decision, I was really excited about it. Then I said, crap, in order to really be a public speaker that does well and is out there, I've got to write another book. Because at that time, my book was about six years old. Wasn't my first book is great, very proud of it. It's not as relevant to what I do now with my clients. I've got some new ideas that I share. Right. So now I've got to write another book. And for a two time author, it may surprise people to hear I hate writing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but said I've got to write another book. I uh, came up with a great idea for a new book that we can talk about. I just launched it in, uh, in April. Um, but that's my pivot now is, is became a, you know, author of a second book. I'm doing way more public speaking. And, uh, you know, as this COVID thing hit us and we're doing a lot more um, virtually, yeah. my whole plan of I'm going to be on stage and now be a public speaker shifts a little bit. We're not on stage in front of people. Right. So it's shifted for, you know, my big project now, one big monster project after another, is I'm taking a lot of the content from my book and some other content and I'm almost done creating an online course based on my book. Yeah. Well, my pivot has been going from just coaching and growing that business. That's going great to now speaking an online course and having all of that work together into a more diversified business. Ron, Ron asks if you followed um, Dan Sullivan. I know of Dan Sullivan, strategic coach. I, I listen to him. He's got a podcast with Peter Diamantes, who's a futurist. Yeah. You don't know him, read his books. He's great. And Peter and Dan do a uh, kind of a futurist kind of uh, podcast together that, that's really good called uh, Exponential Something. We got yeah. really small, but the great podcast. So, so show, why don't you hold up your new book? Show everybody your new book. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Love Breakthrough. That word. Yeah, like that. Where's well, that word again? And the idea for the book was, you know, so I decided I was going to do more speaking, knew I had to write a book, but didn't immediately have an idea for a book. 
And one middle of the middle, everybody says middle of the night, it's you know early morning, about three in the morning. Um, I woke up, had a splitting headache for whatever reason, couldn't fall back to sleep. And for me, middle of the night, I get all these wacky thoughts going through my head, you know, when I'm up. And for some reason, you know, I, I had always uh, defined what I do as, you know, I help people realize their potential. I help companies realize potential. I help companies grow some form of that. Right. For some reason, it jumped into my head that what I do is I help build great leadership teams. That's what I do. I exclusively work with leadership teams as a group, one-on-ones with the CEO, and I help build great leadership teams. And when I do that, that cascades down through the rest of the organization. I said, well, if that's what I do. If I help build great leadership teams and I read about a book a week, I'm trying to remember what book I've read that was exclusively focused on building a great leadership team. And I couldn't remember one. So now I couldn't fall back to sleep. It's about 4.30 in the morning. I get on Amazon and I'm looking for books exclusively on how to build it, how to structure a leadership team, how to build culture on a leadership team, how to execute, how to learn and grow as a leadership team. And of course, I found thousands of books on leadership, dozens and dozens of books on team building. I could not find one book exclusively focused on that leadership team to help a CEO or an entrepreneur build that team. So I said, well, I guess if that book is not out there and that's the book I need, I better write that book. And that's what I did. And that's Breakthrough Leadership Team. Hold hold it up one more time. Slowly. And I will hold this up as much as you want. Breakthrough Leadership (laughs) Team strengthening the heart and soul of your company. So what, what is the, what is the basic, if somebody reads that book, what, what are they? I mean, look, I've, I've been, I've told this story many times, but I, I, you know, I, my company was, I don't know, maybe two and a half, three years old and, and all my employees were getting paid. I wasn't. And, um, this guy walks in this employee and he says, uh, Hey boss, there's some dude looking in the windows of your SUV out in the parking lot. I said, well, tell him to get the hell out of here. And he said, I would, but he has it blocked with his tow truck. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, there's nothing wrong with my, my car. Tell him to get out of here. I don't need it towed. <laughs> and you know, Yeah. So um, apparently the bank likes to get their payments on time. And, and so, you know, I've been through it all. I, I mean, I have been through it all as an entrepreneur. And, and, and I think, you know, one of the, the most important things right now, I, I, and I have been for years now, a solopreneur. My wife and I work together and it's, it's working out really well. Um, and it just like it terrifies me to hire people. <laughs> it really does. Cause it's not easy, man. It's like, it's like what we were talking about in the beginning with the, the millennials having this different attitude. It is a different attitude than, than what I've I'm 52. I, I mean, I've worked since I was seven. I don't know anything else. Like you just work and you figure it out. And, and it, you know, but when somebody comes into my office and they go, who should I call on to sell our services to? I'm, I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, go, yeah, just, yeah, just 
clean the bathroom or something. I know I hired you for sales, but, but so, so what is that book? What's it, what's it going to, um, for somebody building a business, just getting started, um, a CEO of a hundred million dollar company, what, what's, what's, um, what's, what are they going to get out of your book? Yeah. Well, first off, the focus is, is anywhere from, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneur that has gotten to the point that they want to scale beyond just them. Like if Ken, you said, Hey, I'm, you know, I, I want to grow this now to be a five, $10 million business. And I've got to build a team around me for that entrepreneur that, that is saying, I now have to build a team around me. It's focused on them all the way up to that entrepreneur that may be 150, 200 million in revenue. Yeah. They've got a leadership team, but they're saying, how do I, how do I get to that next level? Right. So what it's going to help for, for both of those types of folks is number one, it starts with self-leadership. Yep. You know, if you are not focused on the right things, if you don't have your head on straight, if you don't know what your strengths are and how to leverage those strengths so you can build the right people around you, number one, it starts with self-leadership. And then it goes into to, to something that I've very rarely seen any company do, even the big guys, is proactively structuring your leadership team. Typically, the leadership team evolves. All of a sudden, you know, stuff starts falling through the cracks on servicing your clients. So you hire a customer service person. You as CEO can't handle or this, all the sales anymore. Prospects are falling through the cracks. So you hire a salesperson. You do it after there's a problem. One of the things I do in the book is, is I help the reader understand all of the different roles of the company. And by the way, even in a one or two person company, you still have a, fun a sales function and a marketing function yep. and a, an operations function. And an R all those functions still exist. They may all be in one person, but they all exist. So, I, so if you do want to scale and grow your company, I help you understand how you figure out what all those functions are. And then as you plan out the growth of your business from revenue to profit, to number of clients, number of products, or number of projects, or, or number of full-time employees, all those things. As you scale your business, let's proactively, quarter by quarter, figure out how your the structure of your leadership team needs to change and who you need to add and when. So you can actually start focused on finding those people before it becomes an emergency and you hire the wrong people too quickly. Yeah. So it's self-leadership, it's structuring the team. It's how do you find the right people? It's how do you build the right culture on the leadership team? Because people want to, they want to build the right culture for their company yeah. and they have trouble doing it. And I say, stop thinking about culture for your company, build the right culture on your leadership team and yeah. it'll cascade, cascade down to the rest of your company. So it's culture, it's executing with discipline and accountability. And I go through very specifically, you know, how do you prioritize and how many priorities should you have, right? How many CEOs do we talk to? What are your priorities this quarter? And they list out 17 things. Yeah. Sorry, that's not, that's a laundry list. That's not priority. <laughs> you know, how do you prioritize? How do you figure out what you need to measure? And I think most importantly, what is that? planning and communication rhythm look like? What's that meeting rhythm needs to look to look like? Your yeah. daily huddles, your weekly meetings, your, your quarterly meetings. And I have agendas yeah. for all those meetings. And then the last section of the book, the last chapter, 
is all about how you continue to learn and grow and improve as a leadership team. So it talks about developing and coaching the members of the leadership team. It also talks about the hard decisions of how you assess the talent on your leadership team, who are your A players, who are your B players, yep. who are your C players, and who are what I call your toxic C players. And how do you make the hard decisions on when you, co when you coach those folks and when you need to cut the cord and send them off to go work for the competition? So you go through it all. Those things. And that's all in this book. It's a, uh, it's a big book. There's a, there's a lot of pages. That's awesome. Pictures. That's awesome. So, yeah. It's all, it's all there. So um, Ron says, can you explain hedge hedgehog concept? Yeah, that, that's not, that was a question out of left field, but I can, and I love it. Uh, and, and I talk about it a little bit in the book. So the hedgehog concept is a, is a Jim Collins thing. It's a story that he didn't create about the fox and the hedgehog. But the hedgehog concept is about figuring out your one your one thing uh, that that you're going to focus on, like the hedgehog, knowing that as many ways as the fox is going to attack that hedgehog, they just kind of curl in a ball and they get that armor over them, and the fox kind of bounces off. And the hedgehog is really the intersection of three questions. One is, what are you passionate about? which may be your purpose as a company. But number one is what are you passionate about? Number two, what are you or what can you be the best in the world at? Number three, what drives your economic engine? So think about that. So you do that as a company, but sometimes an easy way to think about that is think about that as an individual. If you in your career or in your business we're doing something every day that you are passionate about, that you were or could be best in the world at, and was driving a whole lot of dollars coming in, ma'am, why would you ever want to retire? That's the intersection of those three things. That's beautiful. That's the headshot concept. Wow. Um, the name of the book is Breakthrough Leadership Team to answer Cameron, Cameron Builds Brands. Um, and I'm going to drop the link in the comments as long as it goes through. Okay. Because I think that it's important that everybody go out and get a copy of this book. If you are a business owner, leader, um, whatever, whatever you're doing in business, I'm going to drop it in the, the comments here because I think everybody should go get it. So there it is. I I posted it and and, and, by, and by the way, Ken, my wife agrees with me because we may have to upgrade our kitchen again soon. So <laughs> that is funny. Oh my gosh. How, how, how often are you going to upgrade your kitchen? Wow, we're, hey, I'm 55 <laughs> years old. The kitchen's beautiful. The next time we upgrade the kitchen, it's going to be after we downsize and move somewhere warmer. Yeah, exactly. So, um, let me ask you this question. And I ask everybody that, that comes on the show, I ask this question. What do you think? And and by the way, the number one answer is fear. So you have to do better than that. Um, <laughs> it's no pressure. So, so what do you think the number one thing is that holds people back from experiencing real success and happiness, not that they're, not that they're the same, 
But what do you think holds people back in life in general from experiencing success and happiness? That's kind of a small, insignificant question, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not so a big you know, I, I don't really have to answer it. No, I, I love the question, and I don't think it's fear. So I'm going to give a different answer. I think your number one answer is, is there's a better answer than that. I think it's focus. And, and let me explain what I mean by focus. We, our, our lives are about what we focus on. If you, you know, there's study after study that talks about the, uh, the, the number of, of bits of information that are coming at us every second. And I, I think the last study I saw was many, many years ago. And I'm not going to get these numbers right. I don't remember the numbers, but you'll get the point. It's something like there's 2 million bits of information per second hitting us. And now with the internet and everything else, it's probably 20 million, but 2 million bits of information. We only have the ability as human beings, there's, there's something right where our brain stem hits, hits our spine called the reticular activating system, the RAS. That's what helps us figure out what to focus on. We only have the ability to focus on 186 bits per second. 2 million hitting us, we focus on 186. That's why if I said, look around your room and find everything that's the color red, and you did that now, you may want to do that now. Look around your room, look for everything that's the color red, yep. and now look back at the computer, tell me everything you saw that was blue. Right. You can't do it because you saw it, but you didn't focus on it. So our life is it. So what we focus on, the meaning we put behind the, the, the stuff that happens to us, the meaning I put behind Losing $300,000 in three years in a staffing and recruiting business, what it, reality is what we focus on. Which, which 186 bits are we going to focus on? So you could focus on those things that are outside of your control. Yep. You could focus on that was a failure. I never want to do that again. Or you could focus on what's in your control. And instead of focusing on what you don't want, you could focus on what you want. And I promise you, if you focus on what you can control and you focus on what you want, you will move forward and you will do it without, without all of the stress and frustration. You'll be stressed again. You'll be overwhelmed in your life. But I promise you when you're stressed and overwhelmed, I know exactly what you're focused on. If you're stressed and overwhelmed and you stop and say, what am I focused on? You are focused on what you don't want. Yep. Shift it to focus on what you want. So I think focus is the answer, Ken. Do you go through any of that in the book? I do. I go through some of it in the book. I go through a lot of that when I work with my clients. But absolutely, in the first section of the book, which is all about self-leadership, we absolutely talk about focus and some tips at the beginning of the day, like exercise and meditation and prayer and yoga, whatever works for you. How do you get your head on straight So and gratefulness? How do you get your head on straight at the beginning of the day? And then what's your recipe in the middle of the day when things go south and you start to lose it a little bit? What do you do then to get your head on straight, your emotions on straight? Wow. Dude, this has been a great interview. And we're at an hour and almost an hour and three minutes. We've and been. I didn't even have to set myself on fire, so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> I said, you got to bring it, man. <laughs> Yeah, dude, this has been awesome. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this. And 
you know what? Maybe we'll do a um, an Amazon live and promote your book over on Amazon one of these days too. I love it, Ken. Um, I appreciate you. This was this is great and a lot of fun. Yeah. So so everybody, go out, grab a copy. I dropped the link in the comments. Grab a copy of Mike's book. Um, where's the best place for people to follow you on social media? Um, I you know uh, on LinkedIn. I'm trying to remember the social media handles. On LinkedIn, I think it's M Goldman Ten on on LinkedIn um, and Facebook. Um, I think it's uh, I don't remember what it is on Facebook, uh, but but LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, I do a little bit on Twitter. Not a big Instagram guy. My website is mike-goldman.com. I've got something called Breakthrough Ideas on there with a lot of videos that are helpful. It's kind of my video blog, uh, and you can buy the book uh, out on Amazon. That's awesome. Well, stay with me. I'm going to end the live stream, but hang on. I want to talk to you afterwards. So thank you to everybody for being on here, the comments, the shares, um, and the loves and laughs and likes and everything. Appreciate all of you. Mike, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys later.